I too would like to extend Christian greetings to all of you this evening. I appreciated the song tonight about gentle Holy Spirit. One of my prayers tonight was that the Spirit of God would fill this place. The other night we read about the Spirit of God shaking the place where people were praying, and I said I've never experienced that. I would like to, but I didn't ask God to shake this place, but my prayer was that he would fill this place. And I appreciate it to the reading in Proverbs 4. There's some profound, powerful words there that the Word of God gives us. And when you talk about wisdom, verse 13, I think it was, jumped out at me. Take fast hold of it. Don't let go of it. I don't care tonight if we're young people or old people. We need the wisdom of God and we need to hang on to it. We need that more than anything else. So I appreciate that. All right, young people. So now that I'm up front here, I get a good look at who's here tonight. And uh, yes, see quite a few young people. It's a blessing. Uh, I think there's a few on this side. I just don't know if they weren't standing or came in later. But anyhow, uh, we are glad to have you here. I enjoy young people. That is the main reason that I spend some years at Maranatha Bible School in Minnesota, because I like young people. I enjoy them. I like being around them. I like their zeal and their enthusiasm. Uh, I like their fire. I like to hear their new ideas. And you know, we need you in the church in a big way. And sometimes preachers will get up and say, you know, the youth are the church of tomorrow. That is true, but they're also the church of today. We need you today. We're glad that you're here tonight. It's a privilege to speak this evening on a youth emphasis, which simply means we're going to talk to everybody because we're all young. Um, when Jerry said the youth are all on this side, and I thought, I'll tell you where my thoughts went, because I couldn't see, I wasn't looking back, uh, but I thought, well, the, the beauty's not all on this side. I know there's some sitting on this side. Uh, you know, when, when you're young, you go through these stages. I talked, I think it was last Saturday at a wedding, I said there's the, the beauty of being young, and then there's the beauty of moving into middle age, and then there's the beauty of being old. I think that's beautiful too, you know, because when you get to my age, you don't even have to have hair to impress your wife. So <laughs> things stay good. So we don't have children's class tonight, but I thought I might draw the children into the message a bit tonight before we get started. How many five and six-year-olds do we have here tonight? I'd like for you to just raise your hand if you're five, six-year-olds. Okay, we got some. Could I have... I'd like to have three volunteers that would come up and help me do something tonight. Okay? Five or six-year-old, three of you. Would be three of you be brave enough to come up? You want to come? Come on up. Okay, we got one. I got two coming. And we need one more. Five or six-year-old. Do we have one more brave one? Okay, well, we'll go with. We'll go with this. What's your name, young man? Zane? Okay, and what's your name, young lady? Zane. Zane. Zale. Zale. Okay. We'll start with Z. This is amazing. Are you from the same family? <laughs> Are you brother and sister? Huh? No. Okay. Can you count? Do you know how to count? Okay. So what I want you to do, young lady, I want you to count all the benches on this side of the church house. Can you do that? Do you maybe you have to walk back and you got to, can you count them for me? All right. And 
young man, how about you counting all the windows that are in this part of the building? Could you do that for me? This side and this side. You got the windows? Mr. Z, how many are there? Eight, Eight windows. Okay, Mrs. Z, how many benches on this side? Fourteen? Did you count these? Seventeen? Seventeen, right? And so if there was seventeen on each side, you know how many that would be? Seventeen and seventeen? Do you know? How many? Seventeen and seventeen? Thirty-four? Right? Is that right, moms and dads? Thirty-four. Okay. So Mr. Z says we have... How many windows? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Did you see this one? Oh, you were close. <laughs> that was really close. You got nine, though, right? Okay, so Mr. Z says we have nine windows. Miss Z says we have 34 benches, right? Okay, you can go sit down. Thank you for helping me, all right? All right, now I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to the sign out in front of this building. I know there's a sign out there that says uh, Salem Mennonite Church. Is that what it says? Along some other things? But what do you think? Maybe they should have a sign out there that has flashing red lights and says, Come on in. We've got nine windows in our sanctuary. Mr. Z counted them. We know it. We got it. Huh? Or maybe you should have a neon flashing sign that says, come on in to Salem Mennonite. We got 34 beautiful, comfortable benches. Miss Z counted up. Huh? Tonight, we're going to talk about a count that matters a lot. I'm not saying those don't. They do. Count it for Jesus Christ. I invite you tonight to open your Bibles to the book of Daniel. Chapter 3. Count it for Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 3. Start reading at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the prince, the governor, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud to you, It is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time 
Ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music. Ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. All right, let's stop reading for a moment and make a few comments here. We got a king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and he builds himself a big old, uh, not big old, a big golden image, it says here. Image made of gold that was 90 feet, I think if you do the math, 90 foot high and 9 foot wide. We're talking about a huge image. I don't know what a big silo is nowadays, but that would be a tall silo, wouldn't it? A 90-foot silo, is that tall? Yeah, pretty tall silo. So get an image, get a picture in your mind. Why would a king want to have an image of gold, big and tall, and then he's got this idea that he's going to get everybody gathered around in the plain of Dura, which I don't know what that was, but some plain open space area maybe. And he says, when the time comes... I want all my important people there, and when the music starts, oh yeah, the music. When the mu- what kind of music do you think that was, huh? Do you think that was hymns that we sing out of our church? Huh? No? Randy shakes his head, no? No, it pro- that was devil music, don't you think? They were worshiping the devil, an idol. And so the, the rock music starts up. He says, when the music starts up, I want everybody to bow down on your knees and worship this Beautiful golden idol. I think this king had a problem. I don't think he was so much interested in the people worshiping his idol. It's simply that he was king. It's pride. You're doing what I want you to do, and this is what we're going to do. He said, listen, if you don't do this, we're going to throw you in a fiery furnace. Bam, just like that. When the music starts, you worship the idol. Well, verse 8, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Oh, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And so we got an accusation here. The music sounded, and the people bowed in worship. But somebody came running to the king and said, King, we... uh, Uh, Maybe we peaked or something, but not everyone was bowed down in worship. There was three men, and Mr. King, it's, it's the Jews. It's these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't worship your idol. And the Bible says in verse 13, the king was mad in his rage and fury. He commanded them to bring these three men in. Get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bring them in here. I'm going to talk to them. 
And he was angry and he said, oh, he said, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you did not bow down, is that true? And he didn't even wait for him to give an answer. He just went right on. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a second chance. And I'm using my words, but that's what it was. I'll give you a second chance. And I love how these three young men responded. They said, tell you what, Mr. King, we don't need a second chance. We don't need a second chance. We heard exactly what you said the first time. We don't need a second chance. And if our God wants to deliver us, he will. And if not, we'll go in the fiery furnace. But we will not bow the knee to your image. As I think about this story, this is a story that we read, Bible story that we read to our children many times when they were growing up, little tots. And in my mind is burned the image of the pictures that were in our storybooks, and I'm going to try to portray just a bit of that tonight, and I am not artistic at all. But let's say that Let's say that this square here is the plain of Dura. This was the big open space where the king set up this big image. And let's say the image looks something like this. This thing is made of gold and it was, I don't know what it was shaped like, but it was 90 feet tall. Whatever it was, a big old image. And then in the picture books that we would read these stories, it looked like this. Marker's getting a little weak here. And then you would see this. Now, you know what this is? Somebody tell me what this is. What is that? Anybody? Yes, young lady there. What is it? People bowing down. That's right. This is the people bowing down. The music started, and the people all bowed down. And in the storybook, the pictures we used to have, the the donkeys were even bowing down. Can you believe that? But lo and behold, there was one, two, three men that did not bow down, and they stuck out like sore thumbs. They were so easy to see, you could not miss them. Everybody else was bowing down. The music was blaring. And they bowed down to worship this idol, this image. But there was one, two, three men that said, we will not bow down. Friends, tonight, there is a place to stand to be counted for Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, the Bible calls it the narrow way. That's a narrow way, friends. It's a narrow place to stand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were Old Testament men. But they knew how to be counted for what really matters. We know how to count, friends. Our children proved that tonight. Miss Z and Mr. Z, they counted the windows and they counted the, the benches. 
And we know how to count, and they know how to count because we taught them well, because we know how to count our farms, and we know how to count our acres. And we know how to count how many houses we build, and we know how to count how much money we have, and we know how to count how many deer we've shot, and we know how to count how many sweaters and shoes. Well, yeah, that takes some counting, doesn't it? But we know how to count that, don't we? We know how to count. Brothers and sisters, life has lots of ups and downs and lots of twists and turns, and it can get complicated. And life has its highs and lows and its mountains and its valleys, and sometimes it's unfair, and sometimes there's opportunities we miss. Relationships can be difficult sometimes, and we can have money problems, we may have health problems. But in the end, at the end of the day, at the end of life, there's only one thing that really matters, and that is that I am counted for Jesus Christ. Life is that simple. It's not very complicated. You see, friends, there are two kingdoms at work. And the Bible says in First Thessalonians 2, 12, I think it is, that walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom. These three men knew what kingdom they were called to. They were working for that kingdom. The other kingdom, Jesus called it the kingdom of this world. Satan's kingdom. It's a kingdom that's full of darkness. And God's kingdom is working for this, that his people would rise up, they would stand for God, and to be counted for holiness and truth. The other kingdom doesn't work for that. The other kingdom is a failing business Kingdom of this world, it's a ship that is sinking. It's making last-ditch efforts to distract the church and disturb the church and to try to get the church to fight within. The goal of the other kingdom is to get those that are in this kingdom to bow like the rest of the others. Two kingdoms at work. The goal of Satan's kingdom is to get us to miss that count. Tonight, I'd like to go to the New Testament, and I'd like to look at two men that missed that count of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 24. Acts 24. Verse 22, we'll cut into a story here. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias the chief captain shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way, for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Now Paul was a prisoner, and he comes before Felix, the Roman governor, and he had an opportunity to testify to this Roman governor and give his testimony. 
And he talked about righteousness and temperance or self-control. He talked about judgment. He talked about faith in Christ Jesus. And this governor heard him. He heard the words, and the Bible says that he heard, and he was convicted. In fact, he was convicted to the point he trembled. He was trembling. He knew in his heart that he needed this Jesus. But he wasn't ready for that. And he said this, he said, listen, Paul, as he was shaking, he said to Paul, when I have a more convenient time, then I will. Then I will call for you. Now let's go to chapter 26. This is a different account, similar. Verse 24. And as he thus spake for himself, this is Paul, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, which before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Here we have Paul again. He's uh, before Festus, a Roman governor. This time he's got a king there. He's got King Agrippa there. And Paul had opportunity before these verses that I read. We could have read a whole long chapter. But he had opportunity to give his testimony to these two men. And he told them how he used to persecute the church. He was serving the other kingdom. And, and Jesus came and and. and walked into his life, he accepted God into his heart and it changed his life and it had brought him out of darkness into light. He told about the saving power of Jesus and he got down to the end of his testimony. He says, oh king, you believe, don't you? And the king said this, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. That's so close, Paul, but I'm just not quite there. Almost a Christian. Whoa. Brothers and sisters, tonight, it doesn't matter how much you have, how little you have. It doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter how busy you are. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you are a governor or a farmer, or you're a nurse or a housewife. At the end of the day, there's only one thing that matters. And that is that you are counted for Jesus Christ. There's an old song that I love, and I can't sing it for you tonight. But there's a line in the song that goes like this. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages, and on that line stands an old rugged cross. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages. That's the line that goes from earth to heaven. And on that line, from earth to heaven, stands an old rugged cross. Friends, tonight, that's the line that we stand on to get counted for Jesus Christ. That's the line of commitment. That's the line that separates the righteous from the unrighteous. That's the line... Or men and, men, men and women stand that are soldiers of the cross. And they fight a spiritual battle. That's the line that says, I am not a part of this world. 
I'm looking for a city built of God. Felix said, I'll call for you later. Not today, Paul. Some other time. I'm going to do it, but not today. The question tonight is, did Felix ever do it? Did he ever get counted? No, not that I read of in my Bible. Felix also said this. He said, I'll become a Christian when it's more a convenient time. Did he ever find a convenient time in his life to become a Christian? Not that we read of. We don't think so. Friend, tonight, if you are not a Christian, or if you're not right with God, but you're, you're going to do it sometime, you're just waiting for the convenient time, the right time in your life to do it, I'll tell you something, friend, tonight. It's never a convenient time. It isn't. Well, at least that's what the devil will tell you. He'll always tell you it's a never convenient time to get saved. It's a never convenient time to repent. It's never a convenient time to be a real Christian, to stand on that line. King Agrippa said, I am almost persuaded. I'm almost there. I'm almost a Christian. Did King Agrippa ever make it past that almost part? Not that we know of. Sadly, did that almost do him any good? Does it do any good to be almost there? Friend, tonight, if you're here and you're not standing on that line with the old rugged cross, the reason you're not there is because you don't want it enough. A lack of desire in your heart. And if you don't want it now, it's going to get harder and harder. Friends, tonight, there is a place to stand to be counted. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they found that place. Inconvenient, yes, but a solid rock. It's a place to stand. And in your minds tonight, I would like for you to picture this place where you stand to be counted for Jesus. There's a line that is drawn through the ages, and on that line stands the old rugged cross. And that's the line that takes us to heaven. And it is a special place. It is lit up by the glory of God. The people that are traveling that direction have joy in their heart and joy on their faces and and they're encouraging each other along the way. They're all going the same direction. It's a special place to stand. I can also tell you tonight what that place is not. You don't get counted for Jesus if you're hanging out down at the local bar. You don't get counted for Jesus if you're doing drugs. You don't get counted for Jesus if you're into pornography. You don't get counted for Jesus if you're carrying bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. You don't get counted for Jesus if you've got a love for the world in your heart. You don't get counted for Jesus if there's lying and deception and dishonesty in our heart. 
this place where we get counted is a narrow way. And Jesus said it this way, and you don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it so I get it right in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You see, friends, tonight Jesus said the broad way, this doesn't count for Jesus Christ. That's the devil's count. And many there be that go in that way. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love their courage. I love their commitment. I love the fact that they were willing to stand when everyone else bowed the knee. And I love the fact that God saw them. And even though they got thrown in the fiery furnace, God was there. He saw what was happening. He knew what happened here. He knew they were going to get thrown in the fiery furnace, and God was right there, and he delivered them. God counted three men that stood. My question tonight is this. Is God still counting today? Does God see you? And I believe tonight that there's Shadrachs, there's Meshachs, and Abednego sitting in their, these pews tonight that stand for Jesus Christ. I know that. I believe that. Does God see you today? I'll give you a true story. This happened not many years ago. On a Thursday evening, I went into Pugsley, which is the name of our local correctional facility near Traverse City, a jail, a prison, whatever you want to call it. I went in for a, a Bible study, a, a chapel service one night, on a Thursday night. When I got in that Thursday night, things were in a buzz. Uh, they were excited. There was something had happened, and so I started listening, and then they started telling me a story. They had just come through a weekend that was called a Curex weekend, and that's the name of a program, the people that come in, and it's a kind of like a revival meeting, you could call it, I guess. It's a spiritual emphasis weekend, revival meetings, and they had just come through it that weekend, and I was there on the following Thursday night. And we got to understand that there was, there was 1,300 inmates at Pugsley at that time, and there were not many Christians, not many real Christians in that prison. We would get maybe 30 of them coming out to our service at the most. And so if you were going to identify as a Christian in this prison, you stuck out like a sore thumb because there wasn't many of them, and they were made fun of. Well, anyhow, they told me this story. This is what had happened the weekend before. Several of the Christians had exited the revival building, and where they exited out of the building was onto an outdoor basketball court. And so they walked out the door onto the basketball court and headed for somewhere, their dorm or something, and there were a couple non-Christians playing basketball. And they taunted these Christians and kind of made fun of them, and they said, hey, you guys play basketball with us. And the Christian men said, no, we don't want to play. And they kept walking away from the basket. And they said, hey, you guys play with us. No, we don't want to. And finally, one of them went and shoved the ball into the one Christian's hand and just put it there. And the Christian was walking away from the basket. He was about 20 feet away, his back to it. He just took the ball and just went like that. And it went swish right through the basket. That non-Christian went and 
grabbed that ball and he brought it back and he put it back in the Christian's hand and he said, you do that again. And if it doesn't go in, it proves there is no God. And he's still 20 feet away from the basket. His back turned to it. He just went like this. Swish, it went right through. Does God still count? The Shadrachs, the Meshachs, and the Bendigos today. You better believe it, he does. God is a powerful God. And he sees when men and women stand for truth. I had mentioned the first night here that we have three children. The youngest one, Tyler, a son, was killed in an accident just a little over four years ago. And there's been quite a few of you knew about that, and there's been quite a bit of interest in that, and I thought I might share what I would call God and Tyler's story. And I really hesitate to do this. I don't want to do it really. Um, number one, it's emotional. And maybe number one is this, really, that I hesitate to, I don't, I'm not here tonight to brag on our family. And I, I hope you can understand that. If you can't, I don't even want to say it because I don't want to brag on our family. We have nothing to brag about. And I also understand, I've come to realize as we've been down this journey that there are a lot of people sitting in these pews tonight that have your own story. There's many people that have lost loved ones. And we all have a story. And yours is just as important or probably more important than mine. And so I hesitate to do it. And yet if this can somehow help one person to stand for Jesus Christ, may he be glorified. You know, someone has said that the old must die and the young may die. Yeah. We expect when we get old to die. We don't expect the young people to die. And so when a younger person dies, it causes a lot of people to turn their heads. When Tyler was killed, it it was tough on our church. It was hard on our youth group. It got the attention of our friends, got the attention of the community, it got the attention of the media. A lot of you don't know our son, Tyler. Karen stuck a picture up of him on the bulletin board if you want to see him after the service. He was killed in an accident on December the 6th, 2017. So just a little over four years ago, he was 25 years old at that time. He was a young man that was full of life, full of energy. He had a passion for life and anything, just about anything he did, he did it with all of his heart and he put everything into it. At the age of 18, he went to Belize to visit a friend and he had always said that he had no interest in teaching school. While he was there visiting, they asked him if he would sub one day, and so he did. And that led to them asking him if he would come and teach. And so he ended up teaching four years of school in Belize. 
taught second graders. He loved children. He could relate to them. But you know, those four years in belief changed Four years in beliefs changed Tyler's life like I could not believe. When he came back, he was, a, he was a young man. After his years there, as he was serving there, I saw things happening in his life. His value system changed. And it was a challenge to his dad. Tyler did not care about brand name clothes. He, he didn't care. They didn't mean anything to him. He owned one car in his 25 years. It was a little common Ford Focus. And just before his accident, a deer hit him and it totaled that thing out. And so when he died, he had nothing car-wise. He didn't care about trucks. It just, and I knew that if Tyler ever owned a house in the United States of America, it was going to be a really simple house. I knew that from what he told me. But it changed his value system. And then the last two and a half years approximately, he was not teaching. Uh, he made many trips back to Belize. His heart was there. He loved the people. He loved the country. He'd go back and sing on a chorus, and he'd go back for this and that, and did a graduation address and different things. His heart was there, but he was at home. And so he was at home on December the 6th. It was a Wednesday. Karen and I were in Minnesota at a minister's meeting, so we were 11 hours away from home, long ways from home. Tyler was home alone, and he went to work. He was doing construction work with my son-in-law, Kendall. And they were working by themselves that day, because Wendell and I were gone. And that day, the 6th of December, there was a, the first significant snow of the year. It was about two inches of wet stuff. And he came home from work, and he came in the garage and put his lunchbox and his clothes, most of his clothes on the on, coats on the freezer there. And he went back out to get the snowblower and to clear off the driveway before he went to church. So Karen and I were in Minnesota, and we had, it was afternoon, late afternoon. We ran to town before the evening service started to get something, do something. And while we were in town, Tyler called me, and he said, Ed, I was going to clear the driveway off, and the Gravely will not go forward. It was in the garage. Now, I had just bought that Gravely tractor that summer. It was a dedicated to a snowblower. Nothing new. It was old, but it worked fine. It was great. Nicest thing I've ever had. And I had just put it in the garage. It was ready to go. And he said, and it just has a, a foot pedal. You push it down to go forward and you push it back to go reverse. He said, it goes in reverse, but it will not go forward. He said, I've tried everything and it won't go forward. I thought, wow, that is really strange. I just ran that thing and it worked fine. I said, well, I said, I guess if you want to clear the driveway, go get the, the old walk behind us down in the other shed. And so that was that. And I think before we got back to the minister's meeting, my phone went again. It was Tyler again. He said, Dad, I cannot get this walk behind started. I pulled and pulled and pulled, and it won't start. And I thought, wow, that is strange. I just started that thing. I just put it in there. It's always been an easy starter. I don't understand. And so I gave him another suggestion of how I might get it started, and that was that. So as the evening went on and we're getting ready for church, uh, I think I told Karen, why don't we call Tyler and see if he got the blower going or whatever, and she tried to call Tyler and he wouldn't answer, and tried calling Tyler, he wouldn't answer, wouldn't answer, and a little bit strange. I mean, it's time for him to be going to church, and he doesn't answer. And so finally she... 
I could tell she was getting a bit uneasy in her spirit. And so she called our daughter Jamie and said, we can't get a hold of Tyler. And I'm not exactly sure what Jamie said, but it was something about I can't talk now, um, something, and I can't talk now, whatever. And that was that. And so we were back at our apartment there at Maranatha, and we're getting ready about getting ready to go to church, and my phone goes, and Karen grabbed my phone. It was our oldest son, Tyler, or Travis, and Travis said, Mom, I need to talk to Dad, and she said, Tyler, no, she said, Travis, is everything okay? And he said, Mom, I need to talk to Dad. She said, Travis, what's wrong? Mom, I need to talk to Dad. And she handed me the phone. I will never forget these words. Travis said, Dad, brace yourself. Tyler is gone. Just like that. Tyler had somehow got that old walk behind started. I don't know how he did it. And he cleared off the driveway. And he had, our driveway goes downhill a bit towards the road. And he had turned around. And he was coming back up. The last strip, six inches left, coming back up to the house. And he was done. And a road, a car came down the road. And it lost control. And came across the lane into our driveway and hit him from the backside and nailed him in the snowblower and pinned him underneath the car over into our yard, up against a tree. And they say he was killed instantly. Karen and I find comfort in God's timing. Had that Grayley tractor went forward, Tyler would have been out of there a long time ago. He wouldn't have been there. Later the next day after we were home and funeral plans were made, our son-in-law Kendall went out and he started up the Grayley and it went forward. It's went forward every time since. Had that walk behind started the first time he tried to start it, he would have been done. He would have been out of there. The lady driving the car, her name is Kristen, she told us that she prayed that morning that God would direct her day. Earlier that summer, Tyler had had a call from police asking him to come back and serve as, I forget what it was, and I could not believe it. He didn't go. I, I just could not believe it. I, I wanted him at home, but I just figured he's out of here, but he turned that down. And I asked him one time, I said, why didn't you go? He said, oh, there wouldn't have been enough for me to do. I don't know if he knew it, but God knew he needed to be home on December the 6th. I had prayed for years for Tyler to have a godly wife. He was a 25-year-old man, never dated a girl. I prayed many years 
God knew he didn't need a wife. And then maybe the most heartwarming part of this story to me is this. My office, my study, is in the basement of our house. Tyler's room was in the basement. And several times in the last month or two before the accident, Tyler stopped my, by my office. I was in there studying or paying bills or doing something. He stopped by and he wanted to talk about assurance of salvation. Now, I never doubted where Tyler was with the Lord. I never doubted it. But he wanted to talk about where he was at in his walk with God and assurance of salvation. I thought, hmm, that surprises me. And then it happened the second time. He stopped by and wanted to talk about the same thing, assurance of salvation. I thought, wow. His last day of work with Kendall, our son-in-law, Kendall said, he said it was the best day of work that Tyler and I ever had together. He said Tyler was so happy. The weather was miserable. The weather, kind of weather that Tyler did not like, but he said Tyler was so happy he was singing. Did he somehow know that it was his last day? At the funeral, a young man came up to me and he showed me his phone. He said, look at this. It was a text message that, he was a young man that Tyler had served with in Belize. And it was a text message, Tyler asking him, just making sure that everything's clear between us. How clearly did Tyler know that his time would end on December the 6th, 2017? I have no idea. I don't know. But as a family, we feel so blessed that God so clearly showed us that Tyler was counted for Jesus Christ. We're very blessed. Friend tonight, Are you counted for Jesus Christ today? I would like to give us three checkpoints that we can use to know if we are counted. Number one, have I been to the cross? The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. Maybe the key word in that verse there is we've all sinned, friends. And come short of the glory of God. And friends, that is a problem. But it's not a problem that can't be taken care of. Because the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Oh, friends, tonight, we get counted for Jesus Christ at the cross. And I talked about the cross last night. I love the glory of the cross. The blood of the cross. When I talk about the cross tonight, I'm not talking about two pieces of rough wood. I'm talking about the man on the cross. It's at that cross that we get counted for Jesus Christ. And friend, tonight, if you're here and you have never given your heart and your life to Jesus, never been washed of your sins, 
You can only get counted at the cross. Or if you're here tonight and you have been saved, but you've fallen away from God, you come back by God, to God, by the cross and by the blood. And friends, it's been 2,000 years since that cross has stood, but the cross still stands today. The winds of time have beaten upon that cross. The atheists have said there's nothing to it. Why do you preach about it? And the old pieces of wood have rotted and have blown off of Golgotha Hill, and the three nails that nailed Jesus to the cross have rusted away and fallen down the cracks of the dirt. But friends, tonight the cross still stands. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us from our sins. And it doesn't matter who we are. I have seen 50-year-old men, religious men, sit in our churches, in our pews, and they participate in church. And they come out and they said, you know what, I've never been born again. I've never been to the cross. It doesn't matter if you're 50 or 80 or 10. You get counted for Jesus Christ at the cross. Another checkpoint to know you're counted is a humble heart. Friends, tonight, pride doesn't come from Jesus. It doesn't come from God. Pride is an attribute of Satan, of the devil. And you know what? Pride is one of our big problems. Maybe one of the least confessed. Maybe one of the most hidden sins. But Proverbs says this in Proverbs 6, 16 and, 7, 16 and 17, Six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination to him. And the very top of that list is a proud look. God hates pride. And friends, tonight, if we're going to be counted for Jesus Christ, I don't care if you're a conservative Mennonite church member, a Baptist church member, or whatever you are, we cannot have pride in our heart and be counted for Jesus Christ. The Bible says that pride and arrogancy do I hate, says the Lord. And I could go on and I could give us more verses. But James chapter 4, verse 6 tells us who gets counted for what. It says, God resisteth the proud. He doesn't count them, but he gives grace. He counts the humble. God counts the humble heart. The third checkpoint I'd like to give us tonight is living in obedience. And I'll read a verse or two from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Living in obedience, friends, that's how you get counted for Jesus Christ. It takes more than just saying, I'm a Jesus man, I'm a Jesus woman. We need to live in obedience. Jesus said, there's going to be many that say, Oh, Lord, Lord, we've been to church all our life and we've done this and that. You know, friends, there's going to be a lot of religious people in hell. I hate to say that, but that's true. That's what the Bible says. There's going to be a lot of religious people in hell. There's going to be a lot of people in hell that have hung out at the church. They hang out there because it's a good place to hang out. But, but friends, you've got to do more than hang out. You've got to walk in obedience. He that doeth. Everybody is going to get counted. But it's only the doers that get counted for Jesus Christ. You know, I ran across this story, true account. October 2014. 
There was a young boy that slipped and fell into a tiger pen in the New Delhi Zoo in India. Now we might say, how can that happen? It wouldn't happen in the United States. It probably wouldn't, but it happened in India. Some young boy fell in the tiger pen. The story goes like this. The surprised tiger watched and played with the crouching boy for 15 minutes. Bystanders watched, yelled, threw stones, videoed, but no one went to his rescue. The boy was finally carried off and killed by the giant cat. If that had been your son, would you have videoed the event? Would you have yelled and screamed for 15 minutes? Or would you have convinced some friends to join you in saving his life? Are we a watcher or are we a doer? Are we a video, videoer or are we a doer? There's plenty of people that can grab their cell phones and they can video the event. But friends, tonight, had we been there, would we have thrown down our phone and would we have jumped into that tiger pen? It would have been a really, really radical, but we have, would we have done that to save that young boy? Jumping into the tiger pen is radical. Yes, it is. I agree with that, friends, but it is right. And I will tell you something tonight. Obedience to God is radical, but it's right. In the eyes of the world that's looking on, it is very radical. Friends, being a Christian for God, a Christian, a real Christian, is all for God or nothing. A lot of people hanging out with the church. But do we have men and women today that are doers of the word? There's going to be a final count. Matthew 25, verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. It's talking about a final count. When the trumpet sounds, there's going to be a final count. And there's going to be two words said. They're either going to be come or depart. And the most two important words that we'll ever hear is come or depart. That's it, friends. Revelation 22 talks about that final count. And just listen as I read a couple of verses. Revelation 22, verse 7. Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the saying of the prophecy of this book. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. The final count, friends, is going to be on an ordinary day. That's what the Bible says. Just an old, ordinary day. The trumpet's going to sound. That will be the final count. Be a day just like today. And how you are counted on that ordinary day, day will be the final count.
Are you good with being counted today? There's a line that's been drawn through the ages, and on that line stands an old rugged cross. And on that line stands men and women that are counted for Jesus Christ. And in my mind, in my mind, I see that line and I look up that line and I see the cross. And beyond the cross, I see Abraham and Moses and Peter and Paul and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Grandma and Grandpa and Mom and Dad. But what about me? What about you? What about our sons and daughters? Friends, are you counted for Jesus Christ? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, I'll be there. This message tonight is not just for the young people, it's for all of us. There may be older ones here tonight that are not counted. But what I would say to the young people tonight is this. Young people, don't live life just for today or tomorrow. Live life for eternity. You don't know if you have a tomorrow. Take life serious. The Bible says that we are to be diligent to make our calling and election sure. That, sign I, that song I've been referencing tonight has a last verse that goes like this. Then I heard that the king of the ages had fought all the battles for me, and victory was mine for the claiming, and now, praise God, I am free. It is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There will be no more war. It is finished. The end of the conflict, and it, it is finished, and Jesus is Lord. Friend, tonight, can you say that it is finished, that you are counted for Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight. And you know our hearts. We have asked for your spirit to be here tonight and to permeate this building. And if our, there are those here tonight that are not counted for you, I cannot do anything, Lord. It is up to you for your spirit to draw men and women to yourself. And so as we have a simple invitation time tonight, Lord, I just ask for your spirit to fill this place. Lord, we pray earnestly, fervently for anyone here tonight that is not saved, that is not counted for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the provision. We thank you that we can have assurance. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that cleanses from every sin for anybody that cries out to you. We thank you we can be your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.